Pet Chat, uh, second one for 2021, for, but it is the first for these two individuals. Cheryl Shaw, welcome back and happy 2021 for you, dear. Thank you, Mark. It's lovely to be back. What will you have for us today? I'm going to be talking about Elizabethan collars, so those, you know, cones of shame that puppies have to <laughs> sometimes wear. What a what a term. Il, il, what was it, What were they again? Elizabethan collars. I can't even say it. It sounds very swanky, but it's that, you know, <laughs> bit of plastic. Dr. Paul McCarthy, g'day and welcome to you, sir. Thank you very much, Mark. Please be back. Did you did you come up with that name? Is that it seems like something that you could have well, called no. them. The reason it's called, it's called those is that in Elizabethan times they wore those great big ruffs, you know, oh, the, yeah, the, yeah. the sort of those um, sort of collars. So that's where the, the term came from. All right, and I can't, I can't name that one for me. All right, but you <laughs> you are here though to answer any of our pet questions. Of More course. than happy. All right, so, so hopefully we get a couple of real curly ones for you. Excellent. Start the off with a bang. Snakes, cockroaches, <laughs> Yeah, bees. all those ones. The weirder the, the weirder the better. That sounds pretty good. All right, uh, there's the challenge for today. 49216216. The gang from Pet Chat are all here at 2NURFM 103.7. Cheryl Shaw, uh, we, we know you love dogs and anything to do with uh, the canine is something that you want to discuss. So today, Elizabethan collars or the, the plastic cone of shame as you call them. <laughs> That's right. I reckon sometimes you see a dog with one of those and they have that look as if okay, probably, they feel like they've done something wrong, I reckon. Absolutely. Even though they're just injured, but they just have that look. Yeah. Well, when you place a cone on any pet, they um, obviously feel something's very different, something's wrong. Some dogs and cats will actually freeze. They will not walk at all. So they just become so like um, worried about their space because... When a pet is wearing a cone, it actually impairs their vision. So they can't see like they normally would be able to see. So the cone, depending on what type of cone it is, can sometimes just block that that, um, vision so they're not sure about what's happening around them. And, Paul, they go into a real freeze moment, don't they? Mm. And it's interesting because often the length of the collar can play a role with that. So often, depending on how long your collar is, is based on what you're trying to avoid your dog licking. Mm. So, for example, if you've got an eye injury, it doesn't need to be very long because you don't need to worry about that. But if it's a sort of on a foot or a t- uh, another area, the, the cone needs to extend beyond the nose. And often that freezes because often cats and dogs are using their whiskers as tactile feelers. They're trying yes. to find out things based on where their whiskers are touching and, and things are moving. And when they're on, they lose that tactile sensation. And so a lot of dogs and cats first first thing is I'll freeze because I don't want to go forward or backward because I'm not really sure about my location. Yeah. And this is a problem. We, we've got to make sure that that cone is doing the job that it's designed for. Like you said, if it's for the eyes, well, we can have a shorter cone. But if it's somewhere in the body, we've got to make sure that the dog can't reach that. So when mm. fitting a cone, we need to be really aware that the cone is actually doing the job that it needs to do. Now, often it's to prevent pets from biting or chewing at areas, um, from licking ointments that are placed on their skin for treatment. It can be even, um, you know, pets that are over um, uh, over grooming themselves, mm-hmm. in particular cats, what you know, just licking, licking for whatever behavioural reason. So we've got to make sure that that cone fits and does the job that it's got to do. A lot of time you're trying to prevent a dog from um, taking off a bandage because they're very good once they grab hold of that with their teeth, away mm-hmm. they go. But one of the problems with cones is that often owners feel, oh, my poor dog, and they look at it and there's lots of pity. Now, I know my David did this to Avalon after he was de-sexed. I, went I bet work. that was the end of him. Oh, almost. <laughs> I went to work, said, don't take the cone off, because mm. David kept saying, oh, we'll take it off for a little minute and watch him. And 
Anyway, I got the phone call to say that Avalon had opened up all of the sutures and he had to go back to see Paul and then he was stapled. <laughs> I think the challenge with these things, though, uh, guys, is that, I mean, the dog's not a pearl, the cat, whatever, is not a person. We can't actually explain in real terms, look, you've got an injury, we need to keep this thing on you for a week or a month or whatever it is. So the animal just thinks, okay, well, this is my life now. <laughs> this plastic apparatus is around my head. We can't sort of communicate or, you know. Yeah, we can't reason with the mm. mark. You're quite right. But we do have to make sure that they are um, being protected from any self-trauma that they can do to themselves. One of the things we've got to be aware of, and, and very mindful, in fact, is that some dogs uh, and cats can't get through things like their doggy door mm-hmm. to go outside, so the cone prevents that. They can't also sometimes um, navigate around the house because they bump into doorways. They even bump into you, and they can do quite a bit of damage with those cones if they're running through and back you in the back of the legs. Um, going upstairs is another one, or up or downstairs. This can be quite a problem. Uh, sometimes even a, a pet that sleeps in a crate may not be able to get in and out of that crate properly. So you've got to be aware of just what's happening with your pet if it is able to move around and things are going okay for it. Cones are really cumbersome, but we need to keep them on. Don't take them off unless you're really, really monitoring. Um, apart from that vision being um, impaired with Paul, sometimes their hearing also is changed. They can't sort of know where that um, direction's coming from or yeah, what it but is. T- particularly with the dogs that have what we call lop ears, so the dogs that have their ears that are floppy. Yes. Um, having those collars come forward often traps those little floppy ears against the head more, and so they're more likely to have their hearing impeded. And on that same note is often dogs that have um, lots of skin folds or um, like pugs and the Frenchies and those guys who have lots of more humidity on their skin, the cones, particularly in the summer, can create their own humid environment. And so you can get moisture trapping around the folds of the ears um, and that those ears can actually become infected because they're not airing very well. So I always get very conscious of people who have ear collars on that if they have lop-eared dogs, just lift those ears every now and then inside the collar and just make sure you're not getting discharge or build up inside those canals because that humidity can bring on infection. Yeah, that's very true. The other thing too is some um, some cats, when they're wearing an e collar, get so stressed that they won't mm. urinate. So then we end up with this problem again that we've got another issue because of the cat wearing that. Yeah, cats I think are the trickiest creatures to wear those because they rely on their whiskers so much. So cats are pointing their whiskers forwards and backwards and sideways all the time, um, which is why cats are very clever at getting to small spaces and things because they can navigate with their whiskers. Um, when you take that away from them, it can be quite challenging for those guys. And often it's a matter of trying to make sure if you're going to do those, you're increasing your behavioural enrichment and reducing your anxiety, things like the felly way and different things to try and make the cat feel safer with the collar on. Yeah, and the other thing is monitoring that cone as well. When you make sure that it's fitting properly, that it's mm. not too tight or causing irritation to the skin, because quite often they can rub onto the skin very much and yeah. cut into that. So you, you've really got to be aware. Some dogs are really good at removing them as well. They can sort of get get them off without you realizing just how quickly they can get their legs up and but, remove it. But that could also, you know, cause a problem too, because I mean they could they're not necessarily aware that they could be harming themselves while trying to get free of these things. Yeah, we've had a cat for example, who had their back leg caught in their collar because they tried to get it off and couldn't and the owners weren't aware for some time and, and the, the leg got swollen because it had been you know, trapped in one place for a long time. The, yeah. the big thing particularly for, for dogs with collars is the neck for some breeds is very, very thick 
and to take that into consideration as well is that often, say, pugs, for example, their necks are often wider than their heads. Yes. And so their e-collars are often made to fit their neck, but if they get the right angle, they can often flick those guys' collars off pretty quickly. The other thing too with the collars, often they prevent the dog or the cat from being able to reach their food bowl and their yeah. water bowl. So you need to be mindful that um, you could raise or yeah, elevate that bowl. A couple of bowl. bricks works very well. Yeah, because um, you know we've got to look after their their um, nutritional values as well as their their mental health. But um, they do have an impact on the dog and the cat. Just their psyche is so different when they're wearing them. And again, for us when we're viewing the the animal, we feel quite quite sorry. So that shame is a pity. And it's interesting that we often, the first three days for vets are always the trickiest for owners of clients because generally by day three they're getting nervous about the collar being on. But in actual fact, if you get past day four, most animals are becoming adapted to the collar and they're working their way around it. So I encourage owners who have got an e-collar on their pet, ride out those first three tricky days. Don't give in to the temptation to remove it too early because often by day four or five they're getting pretty used to them. Yeah. And so there are some pretty good e-collars around too. I mean, the inflatable ones are yeah, terrific. Yeah, they are really good. So you can get different styles. They're not all rigid plastic anymore. And gone are the days of those old metal ones and the bucket. And... Well, I think our first dog at home, we did have a bucket. Mm. I think mum and dad got an old bucket and cut little holes in it and we put you String. Know, rope through the lead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Homemade. Not, Homemade not so much the way to go. <laughs> no. <laughs> so your, your pet will be styling and profiling all around the neighbourhood. <laughs> but around, or you reckon, Paul, day four is probably when things start to shape up. Providing Day four, most animals are starting to get more adapted to having the collar on. Providing they haven't reefed it off, got their leg, leg well, caught yes, or, right. ch- or chuffed up your leg. <laughs> There's some, there's some vigilance required before day three. Yeah, so I thought while we're talking about um, using collars, we'll talk about some post-operative things you can do to help your dogs and cats post-surgery. All right, now we do have a listener question that's just come through. Um, this listener has a dog that gets very excited when they're in the pool and runs around and round and round like a mad thing with the end result that the dog wears the skin off its paws and they're wondering uh, what they can do to uh, overcome that a little bit. Okay, so disappointingly, the dog's not super excited. The dog's super anxious about them being in the pool. So that running is an, actually an unconscious response because they're anxious and fearful about what's happening. Um, hence, they're ignoring the own, their own pain that they're receiving from performing that running procedure to the point that they get friction and burns on their paws. And interestingly, this is... Um, Mark, not an uncommon scenario. Yeah. So we, we do see this. For lots of lots of dogs, um, people in the pool are acting very differently. Mm. They're often yeah, laughing. Sense, there's, yeah. there's the children may be screaming, arms are being waved around, there's noise, there's splashing. And we see it as the, uh, it makes sense when you say it back because mm. we look at the dog and they're, oh, isn't that cool? The dog wants to be a part of what we're doing. And the dog's like, hey, get like, out, get out, get out. My get out. humans are in the pool and yeah. they're, what, they're, they, they need to be, you know, Getting out. Yeah, yeah. So in this circumstance, rather than perhaps trying to put socks or boots on the dog, I'd remove the dog from the locations so the dog's not visualising this activity happening. Um, or we need to start desensitising to the dog, the dog to what the pool's about. So you have small bouts of the person alone with the dog in the pool area and you praise the dog for calm behaviour. So it might be while you're in the pool, you might throw the dog some treats so that the dog's finding a, a positive about that experience. Because dogs can be quite um, 
interestingly, the behavior that clients are seeing is not what the dog may be showing. Mm-hmm. So even dogs who are anxious may still wag their tail. They may still um, have their ears in unusual positions. So not always is this a, um, I'm happy about being here, because a dog would never generally run that much off their feet that they would hurt. Um, generally, this is an, an, an anxiety response. All right, so either get the dog into a, a, a safe space yeah. away, or, or like you said, reinforce some Re- positive stuff that's around it. That. Try and make the a positive experience and do that, particularly with children. Children with pets um, in pools can be a real challenge because children on land act very differently to children in pools, and dogs can find that behavior really challenging. Uh, the upper vested Cheryl Shaw is here. Uh, just just poking around over there, Cheryl. Are you just trying to you know, get the lay of the land over there? Absolutely. Just listening to that music. Oh, it was so good. And uh, of course, Dr. Paul McCarthy is here. Uh, always good for a yarn, also. Always. All right, Paul. Um, you have. Uh, we've actually we've got a couple of calls coming through. So I'll tell you what. We're just going to put you on ice for a second. Sounds good. All right, like a bottle of wine at Cheryl's place. Just on ice for now. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Charmaine. You're on Pet Chat at the moment. How can we help Charmaine? Um, I'll just um, make a general inquiry. I have some um, backyard chickens, and they've the last two days we've noticed that they've got some little white spots and things on their waddles. And I was looking on the internet, and it looks like it's um, fowl pox. I was just mm. wondering if there was a treatment for that. Um, there is, but you'll need to speak to a veterinarian about that because it will be what we call an S eight drug. So it needs to be collected via a, via a, a practice. It. There also can be other lesions that look very similar to fowl pox. So yeah. it's probably good to have a vet check those out to confirm the diagnosis. Um, it is viral, um, yeah. and there are also bacterial forms that can cause very similar-looking lesions. So okay. as as with viruses, there's not a great deal for those about riding the storm out. But with, with true fowl pox, you can actually get medication to help that as well. So, okay, um, okay. Yeah. Disappointingly, birds often show the same clinical signs for a, a, quite a wide variety of diseases. And so um, lesions can be um, not characteristic of any particular disease over time. Sometimes it can be that they, they, they look like um, many, many different lesions. Uh, diseases, sorry, can have the same looking lesions. But if you've got multiple birds affected, then certainly it would be the number one on the list. Yeah, there's only two so far, but there's ten. There's like um, six little babies that are only about eight, nine weeks old, so they're sure. not affected yet. But um, there's three adult chickens, and two of them have got it. One of them hasn't. Yeah, I would certainly get uh, have a, a vet check those out for you, get a true diagnosis, and then look at either isolation or maintenance medication based on what the diagnosis is for sure. Okay. All right, thank you very much. No problems at all. All right, thank you very much uh, for that, Charmaine. Good af- good afternoon, uh, Deborah. You've got an issue with a small dog at the moment. I have. Thank you for taking call. Uh, I've got a multi Shih Tzu who I've rescued. He's eight and has been the perfect dog companion. But in the last month or so, because I've had to go back to work after COVID, he's displaying very different behaviors very destructive uh his whole demeanor has changed quite uh, looking quite depressed when i have to leave and when i come back he's done a lot of damage in the mm. short time um, this is a really common scenario we've actually been seeing in the last few months since people have returned to work um with the fact that many people had transitioned to um, working from home Dogs have had almost complete attention from these owners for upwards to six to nine months now. Um, And so 
you're 100% correct. It is, it is very probable that separation anxiety is what your dog is displaying. And it isn't something that always is you get from a puppy and, and grows. It can be that your dog was very used to a particular environment and, and time frame with their owners. And because that's altered, that's changed the safety and the feeling of, of security in your home. Now, in an older dog, separation anxiety can be a, a more challenging disease to manage because they're not able to adapt to changes very quickly. And so those neural pathways you need to sort of re-establish um, can take longer in an older dog. Um, in this circumstance, again, I would, I would suggest talking to your local veterinarian about looking at some behaviour-modifying medication to help you with this transition. Um, lots of dogs need some help to try and get through the initial anxiety process. Some of the behavioural things you can do yourself are to try and make no excitement about arrivals or departures. So we don't sort of say, see you, see you, bye-bye, have a great day, see you when I get home. And when we do get home, we don't sort of rush up to our dog and say, great to see you, how's your day been? We try and downplay those arrivals and departures. Another thing you can try and do is displace the anxiety by trying to engage the dog in a thinking activity before you leave. So if you can turn a dog's brain onto thinking or problem solving, it gives them a task to complete rather than think about the, the loneliness that may be coming now that you're leaving. So for a small breed dog of the combination you've got um, that aren't really those sort of herding type dogs, um, some things that you can use are things like puzzle balls where you can get them to sort of have food in a puzzle ball. You don't feed that morning so that they're nice and hungry before you, before you do that. And you set that puzzle ball up and you've got that starting to work as you leave so that the brain's already being turned on and displacing that anxiety to a task achievement strategy rather than an anxiety strategy. Um, some people instead get all their breakfast food and they just throw it around the backyard. So the dog's then got to spend some time seeking that out, doing some sniffing and hunting behaviour. Again, turning on a more instinctual behaviour so that they can try and block that previous anxiety they've been feeling. For some dogs, it can be too much for those guys. And then it's looking at things like doggy daycare and boarding facilities where they've got someone to be with them when you're, in, you're absent in that sometimes older dogs aren't quite as easy to transition back to at safety security after they've had such a time period. Okay. He's got a companion. He's had another dog, but it doesn't seem to make a difference to his behaviour. No, and remembering that not all dogs are providing the same needs as people. So yeah. I, I often hear that is that people think that separation anxiety will be corrected by having a second companion dog. But the second companion dog will only help with the anxiety if it meets that dog's requirements for safety. So it could be that having an adult, a human in the house, makes them feel safe. Having another dog, either the same size or smaller, often won't. And some dogs also don't show safety themselves. So the companion dog may also be slightly anxious, and then the two dogs can fuel each other's anxiety. And so it may not be that you've just got one anxious dog, but you've actually got two anxious dogs now. Um, and so often um, I get worried about people who often think that a replacement dog will cure separation anxiety because often what ends up happening is you get two dogs with separation anxiety. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, that's been very helpful. Thank you so much. No problems. Your local vet should be able to provide you some medication to help you with that training process. Thank you very much, Deborah. And a bit of a, a, bit of a tricky one there, isn't it, guys? So what do you think, um, uh, Paul, about when people have 
they get a brand new dog and they mm. want to spend a lot of time at home getting the dog used to the you know, the new surrounding, then after a few weeks they sort of get back to work. Can that be a good or a bad thing considering yeah, what we've no, just looked at? You're spot on, Mark. And this is a, another really common scenario we hear. Mm-hmm. I've just taken a month off because I've got a new puppy. Yeah. And and interestingly, that tends to, again, fuel that separation anxiety because the puppy knows nothing new, nothing uh, different. All it's ever known all is I wake up, you're someone's here. someone's always mm-hmm. there. And we encourage all new puppy owners to actually have absent times from their puppy right from the get-go. So that the puppy learns some self-reliance and some independence, learns some self-soothing patterns of behaviour mm. that help them out when they're alone because it's really important. And separation anxiety is a not uncommon scenario. Uh, I think lots of people are, are spending more time in their homes, particularly since COVID, but mm. even just generally. And I think there's lots of dogs now who are realising that um, they don't have to learn any independence or self-sufficiency because they've always got that companion human there. Yeah, my human does it for you. Because, Cheryl, you're a long-time dog owner. Um, how do your dogs survive when you're here doing the program? Do you have the radio turn on so they can hear you? Of course. They're laying on the lounge <laughs> listening now. Okay. There's my human. I can hear it. She can't be too far away. And, and maybe that hunting instinct kicks and they just look around the next room in the bathroom. Where is she? The lounge room? Maybe. Yeah, they'll be watching the gate to make sure no one comes. Put the webcam on so yeah. then they can see you. My daughter does that. She has a webcam watching her dog. So if they're about to do something naughty and, you know, she knows. <laughs> Big Brother's watching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that would, that would sort of, maybe that feeds also into the, you know, the, the, the search behaviour. Like, well, how, where, where is she? Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, Mike. There's a whole new series of things I've seen on the internet too. Is you can get apps that release different food from these containers in your home at different mm. times. And so you can actually set up a, a, um, a, an app that will release food or release a door to food at different times during the day to give dogs something different to do. Um, and I saw this other great YouTube one where this person has set up uh, a webcam and one of those tennis ball launching yeah. toys. <laughs> and at certain times of the day, they, when the dog's looking like it's going to sort of chew out of its its, its um, backyard or destroy something, they turn the tennis ball app on and the balls start shooting out of his machine. <laughs> and this dog spends the next 20 minutes chasing balls until it's tired. Then they turn the app off and the machine shuts down. Uh, again, just Technology, a... saving dogs from separation anxiety. Sounds yeah. good.